All right. Good morning. Buenos días. I may put on a, a good front. <laughs> I'm ready for my wife to come home. <laughs> She's been gone since Thursday, and I don't say that to make you guys feel bad for me. I say that to honor my wife because as I go through this, probably my illustrations will speak to the moms <laughs> and not really so much to the dads. <laughs> because I've been walking through 24-hour child care and some issues and challenges and caring for that. So that's my perspective just coming into this week. So my, my illustrations, my application might be a little slanted in that way. But Nidia comes back tomorrow at Burbank at 9.42, not that I'm counting. So, All right, but let's pray before I start. Oh, Father, please, Lord, we ask for your spirit to move this morning, Lord. I ask for your spirit to take your word, Lord, to apply it to our hearts. Lord, that you would divide our excuses, Lord, that you would show us the intentions of our heart, Father, that we would just come face to face with you, Lord, that your word would have its way in us, Lord, that we would be transformed, Lord, that we would not be the same. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. I thank you so much that you've given us your spirit, that we might understand it, that we might apply it, and that it might change us, Lord. So please, Lord, as we gather together as a body this morning, I pray that you would do that, Father, that you would be honored and that we would be changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage, this chapter, it's a little, as I first read it, it's difficult. That was my first perspective. This is a difficult chapter to preach. I don't know how I'm going to approach this. And as I look back and kind of looking at the context, as we finish the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 10, they had made this amazing commitment. This is what they promised to God and how they're going to follow God and how they're going to obey His commandments. And then Josh came in and we walked through chapter 11 and chapter 12 last week. And there was a celebration. There was this singing. There was this enjoyment. And then you get to chapter 13. And you look at the people. And once again, they're in great trouble. And they're in great shame. It's falling apart. They look just like they did when we first came to them in the book of Nehemiah. When, when Nehemiah first heard the report of how the people were in great trouble and shame. And now here they are again. It looks like they've gone right back to how they started. Nehemiah comes back, we're going to look through that, but then the chapter, or the book, it just ends. That's it. It stops, chapter 13 is the end. It seems sort of abrupt. Like how, how could it end there? Why, why wouldn't it have ended with chapter 12 when there were roses and everybody was excited and everybody was full of joy? That's where I would have stopped it. Right? That's where I would have quit the book of Nehemiah. If I was Nehemiah, I think I would have stopped my journal right there and that been done with it. But he doesn't, and he tells us what happens in chapter 13, and there is no chapter 14. And I started to study. I'm like, how did this happen that I got this chapter? How did, how did Josh sneak in here and get chapter 11 and chapter 12? About celebration and joy and singers having this festival and celebrating what God has done. And then I come in and here we have these people where everything's falling apart. These people that just don't get it chapter. 
and that's what I get to preach. But God changed my mind. I studied it, and my mind, my perspective of it began to change. You cannot study the Word of God and it not change you, and not change your perspective, and not change what you think. And I went into this with one perspective. I read through it the first time. I'm like, man, I've got to preach this. And then I studied it, and I prayed through it. And I'm like, I get to preach this. And this is so exciting as I went through this that my mind would change. And I'm so thankful for God's Word. And I'm thankful because as you go through God's Word, it's authentic. It's honest. It doesn't cover over things. All right? This, this book doesn't end with a happy ending. Okay? It's real. God's Word talks about the good, it talks about the bad, and it talks about the ugly. Alright? And the reason why I think that's so important is because that reflects my life, and that reflects your life. There's good, there's bad, and there's ugly. Alright? And we need to see the good, the bad, the ugly, because that's what we're walking through, that's what we're dealing with. And so I think it's very applicable to us as we go through this today. And we're going to do it a little bit differently. I want to actually go through and we're going to read chapter 13, but I'm going to basically give a commentary as we go through it. So I'm going to read a verse and just give a little explanation, read the next verse, give a little explanation, and we're going to walk through it like that so we can understand what actually occurs in chapter 13, and then we'll go back through it and talk about just application for our lives, what this means for us, and how do we want to consider it. All right? So we're going to go through chapter 13, reading piece by piece, giving some explanations so that we can have understanding so that we can make an accurate application for our lives. So you guys bear with Grace and I as we do this. This is going to be a little bit different. And I'm not going to necessarily, I'm actually going to start out of order. Because I think it's easier to understand the way to do this. So, chapter 13, we're going to go verse 4, all the way through the end, verse 31. But I'm actually going to start at verse 6, okay? So as you guys follow along, verse 6. It says, while this was taking place, I, this is talking about Nehemiah, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king, and I came to Jerusalem. So we know Nehemiah was in Jerusalem for about 11 to 12 years. When he came back in chapter 5, we find out he was made governor, and he was there for an extended period of time. But then at some point, after that 11 or 12 years, he actually goes back to the king in Persia. Just like he had said in chapter 2 when he went to ask the king for permission, he's like, I'll come back. Remember, he gave him that time frame. The king wanted to know, when will you return? And so Nehemiah, being a man of his word, he returns. And we're not sure how long he was in Persia. We're not sure how long he had gone back to the king before we see here that he comes back to Jerusalem. So everybody with me? He came to Jerusalem. He built the wall. He was governor there for 11 to 12 years. He restored the wall, restored the people. He goes back to Persia. They think he was there 8 to 13 more years. It's not exactly sure. And then he comes back to Jerusalem. All right? And then this is what he finds. The first issue he finds. Look at the middle of uh, verse 7. It has to do with the house of God. He says, And then... I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Again, the first thing that he finds is this issue, this broken promise in the house of God. 
Now step back up to four, uh, verse 4 and we'll see what that actually was. Now before this, Eliashib the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God. So this was Eliashib. If you guys remember, he was the first priest, the great high priest. When Nehemiah said, let's build the wall, he gave the charge to build the wall. He was the first one that the scripture records that stood up and said, let's build the wall. Let's do this together. So he's the first one that stands up. He's the great high priest. All right, and then going from there. And you see, he was related to Tobiah. This great high priest, Elishib, he was related to Tobiah. In verse 5, he prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where there had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. Tobiah, you guys remember Tobiah? He was an Ammonite. He was not an Israelite. And he was someone that had opposed Nehemiah. He was someone that opposed the wall. He opposed the people. And so he therefore opposed God. This was Tobiah. In chapter 2, he was the one that gave this opposition and said, Nehemiah, you're, you're rebelling against the king. This is what you're doing. You're rebelling against the king of Persia. In chapter 4, he was there with his friends, ridiculing Nehemiah, saying if a fox went on that wall, it would fall down. He actually threatens him with physical violence. He says, we're going to come and we're going to attack you. And that was the reason that they gathered their arms and they started working with a sword on one side and the, the trowel or the shovel or working with the other hand. He was there in chapter 6. He was one that hired this prophet that Nehemiah spoke with to try and convince Nehemiah to go and hide in the temple, to go against God's word, but to hide in the temple and take care of himself. He was against God, but he was related to Elishib. He was related to this high priest. And so Elishib, or Eliashib, he gave him shelter in the temple of God. Tobiah was an Ammonite. He was not an Israelite. If you were not of an Israelite, or you had not committed to the Israelites, you weren't allowed in the assembly. You weren't allowed to be a part of the people of God. And not only had he allowed him to be in the assembly, but he had said, come and I will give you shelter in the temple. I'm going to allow you to stay in the temple. And he took this room that was purposed for something else. It was purposed for the storage of the tithes and the grains and the things that cared for the temple of God. And he says, I'm going to give you an apartment there. We'll move these things aside and we'll put you in this place. It was completely against God's commandments. So verse... Eight. Again, Nehemiah, and I was very angry. And we're going to see this from Nehemiah. He gets crazy, all right? Throughout this whole chapter, he reacts pretty drastically. So just prepare you guys for this, but we're going to walk through it. Again, the good, the bad, the ugly. He says, I was very angry, verse 8, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Verse 9, Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. He literally evicts him. He comes in, he throws out the furniture, he cleanses the whole place, 
It's like living on Landark and you see somebody's out, the furniture goes to the front street, the furniture's all in the front, and they come in, they, they put new carpet, they put new flooring, they paint everything, they paint everything, they paint the doors, they paint the hinges, they paint the wind, they paint everything, right? They're not distinct, they, they clean it out, right? You don't know that anybody was ever there, there's just layers of paint. And this is basically what Nehemiah does. He's like, get out. I'm kicking your stuff to the curb and I'm going to cleanse this place. I'm going to purify this place. You have destroyed God's temple and I'm going to put it back in alignment. I'm going to fix this situation. And he's not done in the house of God. Verse 10. He says, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken everything that they had promised everything in chapter 10 they made this firm covenant what we talked about to put the house of God first to put and make God a priority he comes back and he finds this Ammonite Tobiah living in the temple and he finds that the, the, the priests the Levites had been put out they had gone to go back out and work in the field they couldn't take care of the house of God because they had neglected them. They neglected the house of God. They had done the very thing that they had promised not to. To serve God, they had chosen to make Him not just a priority, right, but the priority. And instead of prioritizing Him, they had forsaken Him. This is what Nehemiah finds when he comes back. So now the middle of verse 11. He says, And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. Verse 13, And I appointed as treasurer over the storehouses Shilamiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, Pedaiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan, the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Just like he corrected the situation with Tobiah, he says, I'm going to fix this too. And he comes in and he's like, I'm going to take you, I'm going to set you here, all right? And I understand this after this weekend, okay, with four kids at one time, you sit here, you stay right here and you watch this, you over here, don't talk to them, don't touch them, you stay away from them. This is your job, this is what you're going to do, this is what you got, step one, step two, step three, that's what you're doing. My other kid's over here. I'm going to tell you what to do. This is what he did. He says, I'm going to separate you guys. I'm going to treat you like children because you have disobeyed like children. I'm going to put you and tell you exactly what you need to do. I've got to correct this situation. That's how he responded. That's what he did. So they had failed in their commitment to make God a priority. What about the commitment to finding their security in him? Right? They had committed to serve Him completely, making Him priority to find their security in Him. Look at verse 15. It says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrrhenians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. 
They were buying, they were selling, they were trading, they were looking out for themselves, taking care of their security on the Sabbath. On this day that God had set aside that they should trust Him and that they should honor Him, they were honoring themselves and taking care of themselves and their own security. And again, Nehemiah comes back in verse 17. He understands the situation and then he confronts. Look at verse 17. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. He's basically saying, don't you remember? Don't you remember our stiff-necked, stubborn, terco fathers? Don't you remember how they did this? And don't you remember how they were in great trouble and shame? What are you guys doing? Why are you thinking this? Don't you remember the firm covenant that we all put our names on and that we sealed? And we said that we would honor God, we'd honor the Sabbath, that we wouldn't work on these days, that we wouldn't take care of our own security. We would trust Him for it. If you look back at chapter 10, verse 31, it says, And if the peoples, this is their covenant, it says, And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or on a holy day. They specifically said what they specifically do now. We won't do that. We won't buy and sell. If people bring in, we won't buy and sell. And that's exactly what they do. That's exactly what Nehemiah finds. They're doing exactly what they promised not to do. On to verse 19. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they would not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gate that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Again, correction, instruction, you here, you there, I've got to fix this situation. On to verse 20 and 21. Then the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Verse 21. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. So Nehemiah finds these guys outside of Jerusalem, or outside of Jerusalem. They're not Israelites, and they set up station. He had kicked them out of the city, and they set up their stations to sell these things right outside the walls, tempting the people, asking them, trying to get them to participate. And Nehemiah does what it looks like Nehemiah does. He goes out there to him. He's like, if you don't remove yourself, I'm going to come down and remove you. He literally says, I'm going to extend my hands towards you. I'm going to lay my hands on you. Get out now. That's what he says. That's what he was going to do. And they heard it, so they left. All right? It was pretty effective, actually, because they take off and they don't come back. And then verse 22. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, 
and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. He says this in verse 22. He actually, he prays this like, God, remember my faithful action. Remember what I'm doing, okay? Remember how I responded to God. Remember I made this commitment to you and I'm trying to keep this commitment to you. And I skipped over it, but back in verse 14, he does the same thing after he cleanses the temple, after he kicks out Tobiah. He says, remember my faithful deeds, God. Remember, I am trying to serve you. Can you remember me for this? And so that's his prayer. He cleanses the house of God. He takes care of the Sabbath and he asks for God to remember. They've gone back on their promise to make God a priority. They've gone back on their promise to find their security in Him. And then the only thing that's left is their promise to find their identity in Him. Right? That's how they would serve Him completely. Do you guys think they're going to do any better? No. Right? They're going to be three, three for three here. Verse 23. It says, In those days also I saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. They had not kept this commandment to not intermarry with the people that loved and served other gods. And as a result of that, as a result of their disobedience, now the consequences had even made it down to their children. Okay? And these children that grew up in these households with a father and mother that served or loved different gods, they couldn't even speak the language of Judah. Okay? They had lost their language. They had lost the Hebrew dialect. And so what that means, okay, is that they could not read God's Word and they could not worship God. Because they had lost that language, right? They couldn't read his commandments because his commandments were in Hebrew. They couldn't worship. Because these moms, dads, they had looked for their security. They had looked for their identity in these other nations and had joined themselves with them. Verse 25. And I confronted them. Again, he confronts. And I cursed them. And I beat some of them. And I pulled out their hair. That's what it says. Alright? He cursed them, he beat them, he pulled out their hair. It literally, when you study this, it means he made them bald. Okay? As Grace said, it probably wasn't just one pull, it was a couple of, you know, several pulls, depending on how much hair they had. Alright? But he says, I, I made them bald. Okay? I pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Verse 26, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Verse 27, Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women. He says, what makes you think that you can leave God and that He's going to be faithful to you? What makes you think that you can turn from God and, and, you're going to, and things are going to go well with you? He says, that, remember Solomon? Solomon was the wisest king that ever ruled. God gave him wisdom upon wisdom. 
He was beloved of God, it says, and still he did the same thing. And what? There was sin. There was consequences. Solomon wasn't able to do it. Do you think that you can do that? Do you think that you can turn from God and things are going to go well with you? Verse 29. Or sorry, verse 28. And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elishib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sambalite, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. So yes, here's Elishib, his family again. One of his sons married into the family of Sambalot, who was one of Tobiah's buddies that, was, again, was opposing Nehemiah, opposing the wall. And so the high priest's family had married into Sambalot's family, this man, this family that opposed God. And Nehemiah responds by, literally says, therefore I chased him from me. All right? I ran him off. It's time for you to leave. Now verse 29. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have decreased or desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Again, remember, remember God. Remember how we respond in faithfulness or remember how we respond in unfaithfulness. Remember this, God. Keep this in mind. And then in verse 30 through 31, he summarizes. He says, Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work. And I provided the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. And then again, remember me, O oh my God, for good. That's it. It's done. There's no happy ending. <laughs> That's where it stops. It looks like Nehemiah leaves. Nehemiah comes back. Nehemiah, based on what occurred, he looks like a complete failure. Everything he did had broken back down. Everything that he had put his effort into, everything that he had strived for, everything that had been accomplished had just fallen back apart. They were right back where they began, disobeying God and turning from His commandments. But as I read that, and as I studied that, I said, oh, that makes sense to me. I get that. That sort of sounds a little bit, kind of, like me. That sounds a little bit, sort of, kind of, maybe, a lot like you, right? That sounds like us. That sounds like what we do. And so I think as we look at this, we, this is similar to our story. This is similar to our pattern. This is similar to what we do. And so as we look at the big idea that serving God completely requires recommitment, that applies for us. Serving God completely requires recommitment. They chose, they had to choose again. And then they're going to have to choose again. And then they're going to have to choose again. They're going to commit to God, and they're going to commit to God again. And they're going to commit to God again. Okay? And that, in so many ways, is what our lives look like. It's not one choice. It's choice after choice after choice. To commit to God, to commit to God, to commit to God. Again, and again, and again. All right? Recommitment. We're going to look at three things. Recommitment is required. Right? That's the process. And then in that recommitment, we have to repeat and correct our situation according to the Word of God. We correct our situation according to the Word of God. And then we regularly consider 
the Word of God. Okay? That's what it looks like to recommit. Okay? So first, this pattern of recommitment. This is about our lives. This is about our walk. Again, making that choice, committing again and again and again. They, as we looked at chapters 8 through 12, remember they came face to face with God's grace, with His holiness, with their sin, and yet they saw His love and His steadfast endurance for them. And they responded, right? They began to be rebuilt. And they continued to be rebuilt. And we saw in 10, they committed to Him. God, I'm gonna, we're going to walk in Your ways. God, we're going to live for You. And so much that looks like our lives as believers, right? We come to this point where we, get, we know Christ. We, we see the truth about who Jesus is. And we receive that. And we, we're, we're joyful about that. And we get excited about that. And we make this commitment. And even in our walk, we, we're, we're baptized. In a sense, we're baptized. I'm with Christ. I'm with His body. I am on board. I want to move forward. And then we start to walk through it. And we're fired up. And we're excited. And we're living for God. We're celebrating. We're rejoicing. We're serving. But does that continue? Does that continue for all of us? Do we continue in the same way with the same passion as when we first came to know Christ? Or does it sort of start to fade off? Anybody experience that? Or do you just come to Christ and you start to obey completely? You start to obey perfectly. Everything in your life, I didn't know Christ yesterday, I know Him today, and everything is good, everything is right. My entire life has been made, it's been healed, it's been made true. It's like, it's so honoring to God. Everything, every part of my life is honoring to God. It doesn't happen that way. It's a process. It's a process of continuing on. And I think about this promise and the biggest promise that I've made outside of Christ is this promise to my wife. And I want you guys to think about it. If you're married, if you're not married, you've been to, everybody's been to a wedding, right? You've seen people stand there before and make these promises to each other. And the ceremony can be beautiful. The words are just, are, are just specific and perfect and it's, it's, it's beautiful. Wow, that was a beautiful wedding. But do our marriages look as beautiful as the weddings? Mine, not very often. Right? Our wedding, whew, it was good. Our marriage, yeah, sometimes. All right, but that's the way it is, right? If you, if you have this premarital counseling. I would try and get you to understand this promise that you're going to make. Right? You need to understand what you're about to enter into. You need to understand this promise. Then you get to the wedding and you make this promise. The ceremony, it's beautiful, it's set up. Like I said, I make this promise before you. And then afterwards, what? We have a reception. We have a party. We celebrate this promise that was just made. And then you start the promise. You walk out, they're throwing stuff at you. Used to be rice, now it's bubbles. And you go off to enjoy your honeymoon and start to walk together and live this promise out. I made it. Well, we spent the night, got on the plane. By the next morning when we arrived at our destination, by noon that day, we were already fighting. All right? It didn't last very long. All right? And then you start to... After the honeymoon's over, even during the honeymoon, you start to have to live out this promise. And that's the marriage. That's this big part. Everything else I understand. I make this promise. We celebrate it. I start the honeymoon. 
and then we live it out. This is what it's about, the living out. Making those recommitments again and again. Making that firm covenant again and again. And so I want you guys, I want to drive this home because I don't think we understand that, that we've made this promise to God, that we have committed to Him. All right? And I think that a wedding, I think that a marriage is, the, is the, an excellent way to consider that. And so I took, without telling them, jo, uh, Jovan and Melissa's vows. All right? That's, that's the wedding that I've had the privilege to officiate. And I, and, I, and I squeezed their vows together and I made these, you know, like unisex vows where I'm going to say both from the husband and the wife, okay? But I want you guys to listen to this and I want you to listen to the promise that they made, all right? And then we're going to look at this as the promises that we've made, okay? This was their firm covenant. This was their commitment to each other. They said, before God who brought us together, I vow to be your faithful husband or your faithful wife. I promise to love and to cherish you or on the other side to respect you just as Christ loved and respected the church. I promise to lead you and care for you or on the other side submit myself to you and to grow with you in the likeness of Christ. That's beautiful. Right? You guys been doing that? Javon, Melissa? Every day, non-stop, no problems? It's always easier. It's always easier to make the promise than it is to keep the promise. Right? That's the experience. And I want you guys to think about that. I want you to think about the beauty of a wedding, the beauty of your marriage. Does it look the same? And now switch with me and think about the beauty of the promise that you made to Jesus Christ. Think about the time when you said, Oh God, I see what you have done for you. I see who I am. I see that I am a sinner. I see that I've fallen short. And I see that you have gone to the cross and you paid my price. And I love you, God. I want to give you my life. Thank you for giving your life for me. It was beautiful. Does your walk look like that? Does your walk now, does your walking with Christ, does it look like it did that day when you promised it? Do the two things look like each other or are they very different and very distinct? Because for us to continue in that promise, just like we needed to start, we have to have grace. Right? We fall, but we get back up. By grace. We sang that last week, further along, right? Even though I fall down, I get back up for the joy that overflows my cup, right? That's the Christian life. We fall, we get back down. God walks with us by grace. We disobey, but by grace, He rebuilds us again and again. But as we continue in our commitment to serve Him, just as Nehemiah and the Israelites, our recommitment will involve repeated correction according to the word, and then we'll have to regularly consider the word. All right, so first they had to correct their lives, correct their actions, correct their minds, according to the word. Nehemiah came in, he assessed the situation. What did he compare it to? Did he compare it to what he wanted? No, he compared it to, this is the commands that God has given us. This is how we are falling short. God told us to do this, and you're doing this. We've got to change and do what God has told us to do. He was outraged. He confronted them. He was enforcing God's law. And I think because he took God's law seriously. 
This is what God has given us. This is what He's shown us. This is what He's told us to do. And you guys are doing the exact opposite. And I looked at this and I'm reading this. I'm like, He kicked out furniture. He pulled out hair. He chased people. He threatened to beat them up. I'm like, isn't he, isn't he overreacting just a little bit? You know, I mean, Nehemiah just got a little too fired up. I don't think so. All right, I'm not going to pull out anybody's hair. <laughs> but Jesus communicated a very similar message. And he had some very similar actions. All right? He was serious about God's law and about God's commandment. If you look at Matthew 21, Jesus knocked over and threw out some furniture. Right? In verse 12 and 13 of chapter 21, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and he drove out, again, he's in the house of God, he drove out all who had sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. It sounds pretty similar to what Nehemiah did. And then Jesus was serious about sin. Look at Matthew 18, verse 8. It says, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. This is serious. It needs serious response, serious action. And he says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into the hell of fire. I read that this morning and I was preparing my kids around and said, Who said that? What did they? I said, Jesus said. Jesus said that? Sweet, kind, loving. Yes, Jesus said that. That's how he felt. That's how he felt about God's law. God is holy. This is his law. He's a holy God. He demands holiness. And if you think about it, God took his law so seriously that he responded and acted drastically. He sent his son and he nailed him to a cross because he cared so much about his law, because his holiness was so important. Because he was holiness, because he was holy, it demanded holiness. I'm going to send my son, he's going to go to the cross for you. That's how important God's law is to him. That's how important it is to maintain and to continue in his holiness. He did that for us. So thinking through that, how come we tend to pick and choose what we want to follow and how we want to apply God's Word? And I think the answer as I prayed through this is compromise. I make little compromise after little compromise after little compromise. I make these gradual decisions. It's, it's, it's gradual, but it has serious consequences. Over time, it becomes serious, these, com- these compromises that I make. And as you look at Nehemiah here, he was gone for 8, 13 years, whatever it was. These issues with the Israelites, he didn't leave and step foot out of Jerusalem and all of a sudden they went back to doing what they were doing. They didn't make these choices to bring in Tobiah into the temple and to go intermarry again and to, to sell and buy and trade on the Sabbath overnight. This happened over time. And it probably was a lot of little decisions, a lot of little compromises that they made. They gave in a little, they conceded, they weakened, and they agreed, and we'll just have a lower standard. 
on Friday, after what a day and a half of trying to be Mr. Mom, I had had it. By Friday afternoon, it was five o'clock. I had accomplished nothing that I could speak to all day Friday, and yet I hadn't stopped one moment for one thing. As I went through my day, and I got kids up, and I got kids dressed, and I got kids to school, and I got them, uh, I came back, and then I took care of Annalise, and then needed, needed something for me, and I went to UPS, I went to the post office, I went and got water, and then I came back. Annalise needed lunch, and then I put her down, then I visited with some other folks, and came over and had a meeting, and then went back from that one thing to the next. I had all these five to ten minute breaks, but I really, you can't really accomplish much in a five to ten minute break. All, right. all you moms understand. And it was five o'clock, and we were going to go have dinner, and I said, no, I am going, and now I understand my wife, I am going to go run, right? I need to accomplish something. I know this is going to take 30 to 35 minutes, but I'm going to complete it. I'm going to finish it. I need something that I have done, that I have finished with. And I was in my bathroom, and I looked out, and it was... A little sprinkly, maybe, but I couldn't really even see it on the ground. I'm like, I'm running. That's it. I've decided I'm running. I go out. Mark's over. He's watching the kids. I didn't leave him alone. And I put on my gear. Yeah, it's, it's going to be cold and wet, you know, and I had dry fit stuff. I'll be fine. And I go out, and by the time I get out, it's, it's, it's sprinkling kind of heavy. I'm like, oh, I don't care. I am running. All right? I decided already. I'm going to decide now. It's sprinkling. I'm going to run. I finished my first lap around Lanark. By the time I come back by the house, now it's raining. Okay? Not California style. Real rain coming down. Big drops. Okay? By the second time around, I'm completely soaked, completely wet. I start to feel it a little bit in my shoes. I'm like, oh, no. It doesn't matter. It's raining. It's not sprinkling. It's raining, but I am going to run. All right? I'm going to finish this. All right? All I've done now is 10 minutes. I'm not stopping again after 10 minutes. And so I run around again. And then it starts to pour. Okay? I'm like, I am not, I am not, I am not stopping. And I came around, and Oran's on the balcony watching me run by like, what is wrong with my dad? Right? It is raining, and he is out there running around in circles. I said, I am not done, all right? I'm only on lap three. I got two more to go. And then after it started pouring for a while, which I don't really still get this about California, the park started to flood, okay? The, the water is coming out over the sidewalks, crashing onto the street. The big burrito truck is closing down. but I'm going to run and I'm going to finish. My shoes now are, are squishing and sloshing each time. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to run. I'm going to finish this thing. And what happened was I made one decision to go out there when maybe I shouldn't have. I was on the edge of raining. And then I made another decision. I'm already out here. It's just sprinkling. And I made another decision. Well, it's raining, but I've been out here for two laps. I'm going to finish this. And then it started pouring, and then it started flooding, and then it started being an issue. I said, no, I am going to stay. And I made one choice after the next choice, after the next compromise, after the next compromise. If it would have been pouring and flooding, when I looked out the bathroom window, I wouldn't have gone. All right? I don't think so. <laughs> Did you guys get that? That's what our lives look like. That's what our walks look like. That's how when we say, well, it's not that bad of a situation. Okay, I'm going to choose. I'm going to make this small compromise. 
And then in that compromise, and well, this is how life is, and I made this little compromise, and well, I can make an additional compromise on top of that. And then I move a little bit further away from what God had shown me and what God has told me, and then I, I can make another compromise. And I can make choice after choice gradually over time. And then I find myself so far away from God and what He's shown me is good for me. What He's shown me, He requires of me. And I say, how in the world did I get here? And it's by little decision, by little decision, by little compromise. And that, I think, is what happened with the Israelites. It's what happens with us. And so I want you guys to stop and take a look at your walk, your love for Jesus, your love for others. Think about it right now. Are there places in your life, are there things in your life, are there perspectives you know you have because you've made compromise after compromise after compromise? You've made little decision after little decision after little decision, and now there's a serious consequence. You've fallen away. And now you're not living in a way that honors God. It doesn't show that you love Him. Nehemiah took drastic action. He jumped in and he corrected it according to the Word of God. So if you've thought about areas where you've made those compromise after compromise after compromise, are you willing to take a drastic action to repair it, a drastic action to fix it, a drastic action to respond to and align your life with the Word of God? To correct it and recommit to God according to His Word. And I would encourage you guys to do that. Don't wait, don't justify, like you see it, change it. You see it, by God's Spirit, address it. It could have taken you years of compromise to end up where you're at, but in one moment you can make a decision, God can forgive you, and you can walk with Him. You can start over. You can fall down, but you can get back up. And that's what God asks us to do. He wants us to, again, correct our lives according to His Word. That's a repeated step that we have to take. And I do, I want to get some clarification. I don't want you guys going out and correcting everything in your life. All right? I want you to correct, I want myself, I want us to correct, to realign our lives according to the Word. Okay? According to the Word of God. Not according to your preferences, not according to traditions, not according to some man-made legalistic rules that we've established, but according to the Word. That's what he says. I want you to transform and to change your life according to my Word. Those other things can be compromised. My Word cannot be compromised. And we have to walk through that. Is that what we see in the Word? Is that what God is showing us? Is that what He's commanded us? All right? Don't over-apply this. Apply this as it deals with the Word. So it takes regular correction. And then lastly, we have to regularly consider. Consider the Word. Because we have to, I think Josh hit it last week, we have to renew our minds. All right? Regularly, day in and day out, go back to the Word and renew our minds. Go back to the words and by the Spirit, renew our minds. Look at Romans 12, 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We renew our minds in the Word 
by the Spirit. All right? We come back to it again and again. It must be, as it says, day by day. Day by day. Day by day. Again and again. That's not how I operate. Right? If you see my apartment right now after two and a half days, it is a complete disaster. Okay? I don't know what color the carpet is in my bedroom, okay? There's so much on the floor. And I'm talking to Nidia last night, and I'm like, but you know what? I really don't care. I really don't care because either way, on Sunday afternoon, I'm going to have to get everybody to clean, and we're going to have to straighten up this mess so we can hopefully hold it together by Monday morning when Nidia returns. I was like, why would I go and clean on Saturday morning and clean on Saturday afternoon and clean again on Saturday night? Like, what's the purpose in that? I'm just going to wait one time and take care of it all. Nidia's laughing, kind of evil, you know, an evil laugh. <laughs> like, you get it, you understand. But that's not how God tells us. He says, day by day, renew, renew, renew. Come to me again and again and again. Come to my word again and again and again, repeatedly. It's nonstop, okay? We don't get to do it once, twice, and be done with it. It's repeated over and over and over again. Because if we turn from renewing our minds, then we turn to compromise. If we stop renewing our minds in God's word, we'll start to compromise His word. So I want you guys to see how they're directly connected. So we review our hearts, we review our situation, we review our perspectives according to God's word, and we renew ourselves, we renew our commitment to God. We have to come back to the Word. We're dependent on it. Nehemiah, that's what he used. The Israelites were dependent on it. We are dependent on the Word of God as we renew our minds, as we continue to commit to God. It's not one time. When I met with um, some folks from Cornerstone, these potential church planners, I felt silly answering their questions. Like, I have no idea what to tell you to do. But they're asking, and there's like, well, how do you care for the church and, and, and still love your neighbor at the same time? We kind of, you know, a lot of them were in church world, and they're, you know, I get focused on the church and focused on caring for the people. How do you still love your neighbor, too? And I was like, oh, that's easy. Well, we just decided to move into the neighborhood. We moved into Lanark. And moving into Lanark, that was a big choice. Say, I'm going to be here. This is where my life is going to be. These are the people that I'm going to love. These are going to be my neighbors. And I'm going to care for them and love on them and engage with them. But every day I have to decide to do that again. I can live right smack dab in the middle of the neighborhood and I can ignore everyone. I can take care of me and my family and my own stuff and completely ignore it. Even though I'm walking by, even though when I step and uh, Oran lands on the floor, my neighbor below us hears us, we're so close and we're so connected, yet I can completely walk by, go through my day, and not love and not engage. It has to be this choice over and over and over again. There's a big choice to begin with. There's this big commitment, but yet I have to continue in that commitment. And it's the same way with God walking with Him. And it's the same way with His Word. And so I want to ask you guys, think about this individually for your personal time with God. Do you go before God and read His Word? Do you spend that time on your own, by yourself, connected to God, reading His Word, letting the Holy Spirit move? Do you do that? 
And not just by yourself, okay? But we do that also in partnership. We do that in discipleship. That we would come together, connected to each other, intentionally walking with each other, and let's let God's Word speak to us. Let's consider God's Word together, okay? Let's repeatedly come back week after week and talk about God's Word and how it is impacting and changing us and what it's calling us to correct in many times. And then we come together as a body and do that on a Sunday morning. And we collectively consider the Word, all right? We should do it individually, we should do it in partnership, and then we should do it collectively as a body, okay? Are you guys doing that? Are you doing that alone? Are you doing that with discipleship? And are we doing that together as a body? Again and again, coming before the Word and being renewed. With renewed minds, we commit to God. As I've said multiple times, it's not a one-time commitment. It's repeated commitment, choice after choice. And it's not that we'd be flawless. It's not that we would have perfect obedience. But we would have long-term obedience in the same direction. We're headed this way. We're following God. Sometimes we step left. Sometimes we step right. But we continue towards God. We continue to be obedient towards Him. We continue to walk in that way. And so as we serve Him, it requires recommitment after recommitment after recommitment. And if we renew our minds that way, we can be faithful to God. Jesus committed to us, and in response, we commit to Him. I talk about it when we do communion, and how He sat down with His disciples, and He says in Luke 20, uh, 22, verse 20, He's like, this cup that's poured out for you, this is the new covenant in my blood. This, new, this is the new promise. This is a new commitment to you. This blood and this cup that represents this new promise I'm making to you. And if we would have understood that at that time, as He gave them that cup, He says, I'm giving you my life. And as His disciples, when they received that cup and they partook of the cup, all right, they would have taken the cup and they would have given it back. Say, I receive this promise that you're giving to me, this life that you've given to me. I'm going to take of it, and I'm going to give you my life back in return. Okay? That's what Jesus was demonstrating there. It was this two, I promise to you, I give this to you. I'm asking for your life in return. And that's what God wants for us. That our minds will be renewed, and we would recommit to that promise. Every time we remember Him, as we come together in communion, every time as we remember Him and His Word, we're doing that. We're recommitting to this promise to follow Him. So if you haven't ever committed to Him, you can do that now. You can commit today and you can begin. It's that simple. It's that easy. If you have committed to Him, then today you need to recommit to Him. Alright? And I don't mean that like we meant that back down south. Alright? We had all these recommitting, recommittals. No, no, no. Just let's recommit to follow Jesus Christ. Alright? Let's do that individually, and let's do that together as a body. We would recommit on a regular basis to follow Jesus Christ and submit to His Word. Let me pray. Father God, thank You for Your commitment to us. God, that You made a promise to us and that you followed through. Lord, thank you that you are faithful 
Lord, even we are faithless. God, may we just be in awe about that. May that just move us and transform us, Lord. Lord, you took your law so seriously that you sent your Son. Lord, may we take your commandments seriously. Or by grace that we would walk in them. Lord, not in perfection, but with grace. Lord, thank you that you don't require perfection of us, that you came and were perfect, Lord. And we can trust in you. Lord, help us to see areas of our lives where we have compromised. we've made small decision after small decision to turn from you. Lord, give us eyes to see that. Father, I pray that your word would come before us and we would not be able to neglect that. I pray that we would, in love, share that with each other. Lord, help us to see those areas of our lives and help us to change. Help us to correct and align our lives according to your word. Lord, and by your Spirit, Lord, help us to be renewed on a regular basis as we come to your word. You would renew our minds. Lord, that we would serve you completely. God, please make that true in us as individuals, as families, in discipleship, and as a body, Father. Thank you so much for first committing to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.